0: Thanks for tuning in. On this episode, I had the chance to sit down and talk with my friend and fellow peddler, Donna Blau. We talked about her two breast cancer diagnoses. We also talked about her reconstructive nightmare and the plastic surgeon who just blatantly ignored her request. Let's take a listen to what Donna has to share. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12 year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here with Donna Blau, a 27-year breast cancer survivor from Phoenix, Arizona, and I know Donna from Dragon Boating. We paddled together on the Phoenix Desert Dragons Dragon Boat Team. So welcome, Donna. Thank you. We appreciate you being here, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about your breast cancer story, um, 27 years, <laughs> um, first of all. That's uh, that's fantastic. Um so yep. you know, celebration mm-hmm. to you on that. So let's talk about, number one, how old were you when you were diagnosed the first time with breast cancer? I was 40. 40, okay. Um, and did you have a family at that point in time? Yes, I had uh,
1: a five-year-old and a three-year-old.
0: Okay. And so, we were
1: living in Santa Fe, New Mexico.
0: Okay, so pretty pretty young kiddos mm-hmm. um, at that point in time. Did you find a lump did you go in for a mammogram? Did you have a um an exam at the gynecologist's office how did you How did all this come about?
1: It wasn't a lump. my um breast felt warm to the touch and full more full than my uh, right breast and it just didn't seem right. I didn't know what it was. I wasn't concerned that it would be cancer because I didn't find a lump, but I went to see um I couldn't get in to see my regular gynecologist, so I saw a nurse practitioner, um, and she suggested I have a mammogram, so I had that done, and um, they got the results, and my doctor called and said she needed to see me, and I came in, and they did another test, um, which was through some secretions from my nipple, and they found that I had um, DCIS throughout the whole breast.
0: Okay. So there was no lump, but that DCIS is, so on the, on the mammogram, it looks like speckled white dots, um, if you will. And so it was just kind of all over through the entire, through breast. the entire left breast. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what stage of cancer would that put you at with the DCIS? What did they, what did they kind of give you in terms they of the stage? They didn't say
1: anything like that. They just, Referred me to a breast surgeon, and she told me that she thought the best thing would be just to um, remove the breast. Um, because, but that wasn't necessary necessarily the only thing they could do. Um, and I decided to go with that because I didn't want to take a chance sure. since this was, you know, 1992. What if they're wrong? They're telling me it's not going to kill me, but I have little kids. Right. So I chose to go more the extreme route to have the breast removed and okay. have reconstruction.
0: S- so did you, um, so let's kind of back up a little bit um, in terms of having that diagnosis. Is there a family history that you have in no. terms of breast cancer? So nobody in your family um, Nope. kind of popped up. Okay. Okay. So- did they um, kind of give you any indication of anything? Were they concerned about a genetic mutation at all? Back then,
1: no. Okay. They didn't really approach that at that time. Okay. So I, we scheduled the surgery and I had a saline implant put in because they had recalled the silicone implants. Okay.
0: So this was back when in the 90s, they were having that conversation about the um, concerns related to the implants and um, had pulled them off the market. Okay. Yep. So did you opt for a single mastectomy or did you do the bilateral mastectomy? They weren't offering bilateral back in those days,
1: at least not in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, That was never brought up. Okay. Uh, And I didn't think anything of it. I just, I was of the mindset, just fix it. Okay. Just fix it.
0: So did you have immediate reconstruction at the time of the mastectomy?
1: Um, They put in tissue expander. Okay. And I went through that process um, and then had the saline implant put in probably towards the end of the year. I can't remember exactly how long it it took, but... um, I know my kids were gone for a month when I went through that part of it because it it took a time, you know, quite, kind of a lot of time, so.
0: Okay. And so did they go with family? Mm-hmm. They, they went
1: okay. um, to their grandparents' ranch in Texas. Okay. Which they usually would go every summer anyway for a couple of weeks, but they were there a
0: month. Okay. So that was, that might have been a little bit different for them in terms of the length of time for them definitely, to be away. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. okay. And was that hard for you to have them be away, or did you think that that was you know better for them like what were your feelings kind of around that
1: it was better for them and okay. for me so okay they were in good hands
0: yeah yeah and you just kind of knew that at that time you know you kind of needed to be able to take care of yourself um, and they I mean they were really young so did they understand anything did you have a conversation with them um
1: I don't think they really understood at the time they were scared.
0: Sure. Sure. Do you remember, um, do you remember kind of what you said to them? I mean, you said, so you said your youngest was three. Mm -hmm. And so I can't, I mean, I don't, I don't have any children, so I can't imagine how you try to conceptualize that information to a three-year-old. So do you remember anything that you, you said to them?
1: I When they saw me in the hospital, I couldn't speak very well, because they had done some damage to my vocal cords, and that scared Katie, the youngest. And we didn't really talk about it, we just talked, you know, I just said that um, my boobie was sick, and I was having it fixed, and that I was going to be okay. Okay. And that they'd go stay with grandmother and papa. Yeah. And then come home.
0: Yeah. So. I'm glad that you had that support of being able to, you know, send them to to their grandparents to be yes. able to, you know, kind of have that space, if you will, for you to recover and, and do what you needed to do. So you said that they damaged your vocal cords. Was that from the mastectomy that they damaged the vocal cords? During the surgery. During yeah, the surgery.
1: The anesthesiologist kind of scraped things on the way down. So I, I had a really gruff sounding voice and... And that's really scared Katie. She couldn't understand why I couldn't talk right, okay. at least the normal way she was used to hearing me talk. Right, right. So.
0: Okay. So then, so you had the the single mastectomy with the reconstruction. Did you have any qu- other course of treatment? Did you have to do chemotherapy or radiation?
1: No, they um, they didn't recommend either. They okay. since since I had the breast removed, they I mean, I could have. Gone with radiation and rather than the mastectomy but um and my s- breast surgeon let me make that decision she wasn't going to tell me what she would do in that situation after the surgery and all was said and done she told me that she felt I made the best decision by going that route so I thought well I'm fine now and it's going to be okay I don't have to worry about it I have perky boobs It's good.
0: (laughs) Not realizing it doesn't always work out the way you expect it to. Right, right. So we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, But I do want to ask in terms of, so you, you said that some of your family was in Texas. Did you have a support system around you in Santa Fe? Did you have any family, any friends? Oh,
1: lots of friends. Okay. Lots of friends.
0: And so they kind of helped to support you Mm -hmm. through this process and um, just...
1: Oh, yeah. They took good care of me.
0: Okay. It was good. Okay. And then obviously your husband. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. of
1: course. My husband and, (laughs) and his family and my family, everybody was really supportive. Okay. And I'm sure they were scared because they weren't used to anything like this. And me being so young was
0: surprising. Right. Right. So, so you kind of got through that and had the surgery, didn't do the chemo or the radiation. So then what came next?
1: Um, well, we ended up moving out of state and moved to the East Coast. And while I was there, um, I had gone to see a doctor because my implant had started creeping up my chest. So it, it was like getting close to it was up on my shoulder blade, actually. And um, my gynecologist actually was, every time I'd have an exam with her, my yearly exam, she would um, check that breast as well as my natural breast. And she found a lump underneath the implant growing underneath it.
0: So like on the chest wall? On the
1: chest wall. And she uh, referred me to a breast surgeon in New York City. uh, And I went and saw... Um, this doctor, she was very nice, and it was a team of women, except for the plastic surgeon. And uh, she s- felt that it was a mucinous carcinoma, so it was slow-growing, um, not all that uncommon, but not as common as DCIS. And uh, because it was slow-growing, it wasn't invasive cancer, but it, you know, they could do something about it. So I thought, great. By then, I had enough tummy fat. I figured I could have them do a transflap flap reconstruction and use my own tissue so that I wouldn't have to have another implant and worry about it shifting or it leaking or having problems with it because they do have a shelf life.
0: So how old were you when, this, when you found the, the lump? I was 57. 57. Okay. So this is 17 years later mm-hmm. that you... Found something else, so my guess is, and you know, certainly correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe kind of around that 10 year mark, you were thinking, "I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, I'm," you know, okay. I mean, that's kind of the the marker that most people that I I know have used. Um, So, were you kind of thinking that, or was that earlier for you? No, I never thought of that. I just figured
1: I was going to be fine. That nothing I didn't expect.
0: To have breast cancer again. So immediately after you had the first diagnosis, had the surgery and did all of that stuff, you were immediately like, I'm good, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Not even, not even a thought.
1: Didn't even worry about it.
0: Okay. And then 17 years later, you find the, a lump.
1: Yeah. That okay. was, I was like, wait a minute. How does this happen? I don't have any breast tissue,
0: but you know, they can't guarantee they get a hundred percent of the tissue. Right. So. Right So so then you you have the surgery, and so did they do the um, the reconstruction using your own tissue? Yes, they did. okay. And how did that work? Um, I mean, I would imagine it's a longer recovery.
1: It was worse than the breast cancer.
0: Okay. And so why?
1: Um, the doctor, the surgery itself was, Pretty bad. They pretty much do a tummy tuck, which means they cut you from your hip bone to your hip bone. Okay. And they take all the fat and muscle and they kind of reroute it up into where they create a breast with your own tissue in it. It looked really good. Um, it was a little bit, had a little bit of a divot in it because I didn't have quite enough tummy fat. And he assured me that he could fix that and that wouldn't be a problem. And after the surgery, I had six and a half weeks of radiation. And I didn't think anything of that. And when I went to see him after the radiation for him to finish the reconstruction, he said he wanted to put in a small implant and create a nipple. And I said, I don't want the nipple. Don't do that. And I was, well, okay with the implant. And he did the surgery, and it probably was... Maybe not even two months after I stopped the radiation treatment, but I figured he knew what he was doing. Um, he's the doctor; he's the one in charge.
0: So, why did you why did you have to have the radiation? Because that wasn't part of the the first um, breast cancer diagnosis. So, what what came up this time um, to have them make that recommendation for six weeks of radiation?
1: It was because it was the mucinous carcinoma. Okay. So they wanted to do the radiation to make sure that they got everything that they possibly could. Okay. Um, So I did that. I was working in New York City, and I would leave at 4 o'clock and go have my treatment for half an hour and get on the bus and go home and take care of the kids. And Although my husband did more than I did. He made (laughs) dinner all
0: the time. Yeah, But every day for six weeks is a long time. Yeah. Um, Well, five days a week.
1: And I was fortunate. I didn't have... Any severe burns, um, not even a sunburn, and my radiation oncologist was just so surprised how well I went, did under the radiation and had no adverse side effects. So I was figuring, okay, I'm almost done. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna have to worry about this again. And
0: but then the plastic surgeon saw something. Well, no, maybe then, different.
1: No, he 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 did the surgery. And didn't, he actually forgot that I had six and a half weeks of radiation. And he had written many articles about not doing surgery on irradiated tissue. And I had specifically asked him not to do a nipple. And he did it anyway. And when I came out of surgery, it felt like I had like a little, one of those little things they put in a pizza box so it doesn't squish down. Oh yeah. I had that it on my like boobie. the little
0: tables that you yeah. might use for like your bar your doll set or something. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And I was like, why do I have this? And as he's walking away from me, he goes, Everything's okay, you're good, you're good. Got a nipple and, and he was supposed to lift the other side to make it match and that didn't happen. And I was like, Why am I not sore over here? And I have this pizza box thing. But <laughs> so when when I got home and the next morning took off the bandages it looked like charred meat, my nipple. It was just like black.
0: Where did he, did he use tissue from somewhere else? Did he use the he tissue that was there? From the the tissue from the skin. From the skin that was already that a was part already, of the breast. Yes. Okay. And that would be probably why it looked charred.
1: Well, he... he When I went to see him about it, um, because I was leaving town for the holidays, he was talking to himself. The nurse wasn't in the room and kept saying, I don't understand this. I don't know why this would have happened. How could this have happened? This shouldn't have happened. And I'm like, why are you saying that? You know I had six and a half weeks of radiation. And he was like, oh. Okay, well, you don't have to pay for anything. Don't worry about it. Oh, yikes. And I thought... Well, that's kind of weird, but I trusted him and thought, well, he'll fix it because that's been my mindset all along. If there's something wrong, just fix it, and it went downhill from there.
0: So, in terms of what was the reasoning to do kind of the hybrid, where it's a combination of the implant and the tissue, what what had changed? I mean, he obviously forgot about the fact that you had the radiation. Um, but what was it that made him change his mind at that point in time if the plan was to just use your tissue? Because
1: I didn't have quite enough fat. So I had a little divot in the breast that in hindsight, no one would have ever seen. Okay. Wouldn't have made a difference. I should have just said no.
0: Okay. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Okay. So I wasn't connecting. You did say that. So I wasn't necessarily connecting right. that divot. Um, to him then suggesting an implant, um, as part of it, or you, you know, wanting that. So, okay. Um, so then you're kind of left in this position and you're, he's saying that you don't have to pay for anything. So what kind of happens next? What do you do? I mean, did you go back to see him to have it fixed?
1: I, um, it kept getting worse after I left his office. I I went to California for Christmas and it, it was separating the nipple was separating from the tissue and it, it was, it looked horrible. Um, and I panicked. So I sent photographs. I, te- you know, sent text pictures saying this, look what's happening. What do I do? Should I come back to see you? And he said, well, I'm not there. I'm in Florida. So, um, you'll have to see me when you come back, and I kept sending pictures, because it kept getting worse, and so when I got back, I flew in on January 2nd, and um, went to see, he saw me that next day, Sunday, in his office, because he knew what it looked like, and he just told me that, you know, it's going to get better, it'll get better, and then, um, it kept getting worse, and fall. You know, I mean, it was literally just kind of disintegrating. It had gone, it was deteriorating, and there was nothing he could do to stop that. But he didn't tell me that. He never really told me what he was going to do to fix it, and I was too freaked out to be saying, what exactly are you going to do? So I just assumed he'd fix it, and I'd go in like every week or so. I, I developed an infection because of all of that. So I had to go in and have him remove the implant, and he did that in the office. In the office? Uh-huh. He were did you... it in the office.
0: Okay. I'm going to assume that you were under anesthesia.
1: No. Oh. No, um, and it, he actually made an incision, and when he pulled the implant out, it literally popped like a cork. And, and then all the pressure was released, and I wasn't as miserable as I had been for
0: the last week before I got back from California. I think I'm a little dumbfounded right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I have... In fact, I know that I have never heard of somebody having their implant removed in an office, and not being under anesthesia.
1: He probably used a local anesthetic on the breast, but... Still. But it, I mean, it it felt like he was pushing down on me and pulling back, which, which, because it was really in there, I guess, and because of the infection, it just popped.
0: I mean, it's it's under that tissue. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, you had the abdominal... um, Tissue moved up there. So I imagine the implant would be under all of that tissue. And so...
1: Well, actually, no, it was above well, it was because above it. he put it in after the fact, after the tram flap okay. was done. So, um, and then it took probably seven months for the dying tissue to be cut out of my chest once a week um, until finally I listened to my medical oncologist who said you should see a wound specialist. And I've, I went to see a specialist who also happened to be a plastic surgeon for breast reconstruction. And he told me that he could fix it, but he would have to take my muscle from the back, the latissimus, and bring it around to make a sling and take grafts off my thigh or my my bottom. And I was like, no, I'm done. Yeah. So
0: did the plastic surgeon ever say what What happened? Why the the skin became charred? Mm -hmm. That he never did, and I
1: finally decided to stop going to him and asked for my medical records. And the records stated the only thing he never took any pictures while this was going on. Never, um, all his notes said was looking better, getting better. Uh, Nothing. There was nothing in the notes. And I finally um, spoke with a friend who was a medical malpractice lawyer, and he listened to what had gone on, and he said, I, I honestly believe you have a case. So sure. I decided to, I, my whole goal was to get it on his record. I didn't want this to happen to anybody else. Absolutely. It, you know, and so I, this was probably close to almost the two-year limit that you have to file and um, I ended up having to go back to New York for a deposition, and that was that was horrendous. Just, just having to go through it, again. emotions it was, of the emotions that he had. You know, high-powered po- Park Avenue lawyers, and I, I told um, my lawyer after that that I wasn't going to. Um, I wasn't going to try to take him to court. I wanted to settle because I I didn't feel like I could go through the getting on the stand and testifying. It was just so emotionally upsetting that I, I said, so long as it's on his record, that's my goal. Yeah. It's not about the money. And of course my lawyer said, it's all about the money. And I said, that's not what I'm looking for. Right. So, um. We ended up settling and it is on his record and I feel like I,
0: you know, did what I should have done. Maybe saved somebody else from having to go through that same, I mean, it's, it's number one traumatic enough that you have one diagnosis of cancer and then you add on the layer of a second diagnosis and then you add on the layer of, you know, I opted to do reconstruction because I want. Whatever it is, you know, to kind of feel whole, to just be kind of quote-unquote normal, if you will, um, whatever it might be, and then to have something that traumatizing happen and no explanation. You know, I I would imagine that that's pretty, that would be pretty hard to deal with. So, I I would imagine that you would want to um, help other people. So, I I think that that's, you know… I'm sad that you had that experience, but I am certainly grateful that you did what you did in the end to kind of save somebody else from the same thing
1: yeah that that I just was so so angry that he how could he forget that? How do you forget your patient has had six and a half weeks of radiation and and be the author of you know medical articles of what not to do on this tissue that had been irradiated. Right. It's like, it just does not make sense.
0: Well, and I think you bring up a really great point. So um, in terms of seeking out a plastic surgeon, um, you know, not everybody kind of gets put into a situation where, their team already has a plastic surgeon that they work with and they they just go there. Um, but being able to research them and ask specific questions, um, I think that that's always important. Um, but, you know, sometimes you're in that state of, okay, here I am and I trust you and let's just do what we need to do to get this taken care of. So Well,
1: uh, unfortunately, he was the only doctor that um, would do that procedure and had hospital rights at the hospital where I was being treated so um, I really didn't have an option of anybody else if I wanted to have that surgery and I really thought that because I've always been positive about whatever health issues I'm having to deal with that this would all work out and it doesn't always right and I, I I the the wound specialist actually described how I look now as a gross disfigurement. And it's, I had—I pretty much have a hole in my chest right? that healed from the inside out. And it's not a pretty picture, but that's okay.
0: Yeah. Not going around topless. <laughs> <laughs> we would still love you all the same if you did. <laughs> so... So right now there's, there's no implant. Um, you kind of describe it as kind of a hole in your chest. Do you use a prosthesis then? Um, Yes. Okay. Okay. I do. I wear a prosthesis.
1: Um, and that's, you know, served me fine. Um, they are a little bit warm. So when we're paddling, it's gets a little hot and, you know, that's kind of just the way it is. But, um, I just would not have reconstructive surgery again. Mm-hmm. That's just my personal choice sure. just
0: based on my experience. Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the things that we really want to convey through all of this is that, you know, there's, it's not one way is not right or wrong. You know, it, it really comes down to a personal decision and what it is that you want for your own body and, um, you know, everybody's story is different. You know, we we are all impacted by the same disease. But at the end of the day, the stories that are behind that that disease and that pink ribbon are so vastly different. Um, you know, and, and so we do the best that we can. And, you know, unfortunately, there are times when things like this happen. And we hope that they aren't as often. Um, and it just, you know, it leads us to making certain Decisions about things that we do or do not want to do.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I'm because of that I I am having my right breast removed because of my um, genetic history and obviously two time breast cancer survivor
0: and I passed the gene on to my oldest daughter. So let me I'm going to stop you right here. Okay. I know that you're getting. I know that you're. I can sense it. So when you had the second diagnosis, they went back and said, okay, now we need to test. Like they were at a different point in time in terms of research, knowing that there's a genetic mutation. So they did test you?
1: No, not then. Because um, it wasn't until I moved here to Arizona that I, because of the two-time breast cancer incidents, it was suggested that I have my genetic testing done. So I did that. And because I was over the age of 50... When I was first diagnosed, the insurance would cover it. So I went ahead and had it done and found that I had the check 2 gene, which is part of the BRCA gene, and which I thought was a little odd if I knew no one in my family had anything. And now all of a sudden I find I have this gene, and um, both my daughters have been tested, and only the older one um, has the gene, and her doctor in New Jersey said she is 65 to 75% chance of developing breast cancer. So her recommendation is that she have a bilateral mastectomy with reconstruction by the time she's 35.
0: How old is she now? She's, she'll be 33 in November. So I know that that's hard. I mean, I could, I could see it, you know, kind of on your face and in your voice and um, Can we talk real quick about what that kind of brings up for you um, in terms of passing the gene on to
1: your daughter? Well, her decision made me decide to get rid of my right breast. Um, And both my girls know I've been proactive and encourage them to be proactive about their health. They know their bodies better than anyone else. And I think it's, it's important to have a positive attitude and, be aware, you know, eat right, exercise. Right. And I do a lot of it, and I'm thin, but I'm toned. Right. So, and I feel like that keeps me one step ahead. right? And, and I pass that on to my girls and right. anyone else who will listen. Because <laughs> I think it's important to right. listen to your body
0: and be proactive. It's, you know. Right. So is she... Does she currently get mammograms at this point in time?
1: Uh-huh. Okay. She just had um, an MRI. Both girls are supposed to have mammograms and MRIs once a year. And I know Alex has been doing it. Unfortunately, the very first MRI she had, they found a lump in her breast, in her right breast, back um, towards under her arm. And that terrified us all. Sure. But she had uh, a biopsy done, and it was benign. Okay. So um, she's fine. And she's on board with having the surgery, um, and is not, con- she's not phased by it. She's, you know, being pretty level head headed about it.
0: So, right. so do you think that for her, it might be a little bit, I don't know how to describe this, um. Would it, do you think maybe it's a little bit easier for her to make that decision because she has the knowledge ahead of time, um, in terms of, okay, I know that I have this genetic mutation. I have this level of risk of developing it. Let me cut that risk down, um, significantly by just having things removed versus let's kind of wait and see. And then a lump kind of appearing and being, you know, most of us who are diagnosed end up kind of in crisis mode. Like, okay, what do we do now? So yeah. Do you think that that's really kind of helped her?
1: Oh, I think it has. Um, I think she's made a good decision. That's obviously a decision only she could make. Um, and by her doing that, I finally was, because in my mind, I've had so many surgeries that I didn't want to have another one if I didn't have to. And I thought, well, how stupid am I being? What if I leave my right breast and I clearly have a history and could very well have uh, another bout of breast cancer. And I'm I'm being stupid, not making a decision that three of my doctors had said, you really should consider this. And I know they haven't talked to each other about this. It's, um, and finally, when I made the decision, I was relaxed and felt like, whew, that lifted a weight. Right. And I'm happy to not have the reconstruction. I'm I will go flat-chested. I I don't have to wear bras. That's going to be yeah. a good thing.
0: Flat and fabulous. Yeah. My friend founded Flat and Fabulous, and you know, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm I'm good with
1: that. So I'm going to have surgery after our competition at the beginning of August. So okay. it'll be good, and I'll only be out for four weeks. So okay. it's
0: all positive. Yeah. Good. So. Alex has children. Yes. Married has children. and She has um,
1: Charlie. Charlotte will be five in December and Jack turns one on the 4th of July.
0: Oh, wow. They're adorable. Fun, fun, fun. Yeah. So have her doctors talked to her as well in terms of um, is she at higher risk for developing potential ovarian cancer? Is that a conversation that... She would be yes.
1: Uh, but they're not having a conversation right now. Because okay. of the check two gene, yes. It, you okay. are at a higher risk for ovarian cancer, um, quite a number of other things as well. Um of course I'm drawing a blank right now. That's okay. Uh, but um she's being proactive. Good for and her. And that's yeah. I think that's really important for all all of us to be proactive when it comes to our health because if you wait and depend on doctors, you're not going to always be led in the right direction. Right. And it could be fatal. Sure.
0: Absolutely. I think you make a really good point about that, that, you know, you have to be your own best advocate mm-hmm. for your own health needs. Um, and I that's important because sometimes, you know, we we do put our trust in the doctors and, you know, I, for one love all of my doctors and I've had a positive experience, but I know that that's not the case for everybody. So, you know, you do really have to be kind of on top of it, um, you know, to advocate for your own health.
1: Yeah. And I would suggest to anyone who's newly diagnosed you know, if you don't feel like you're getting the answers or or the questions you might have answered, um, there's nothing wrong with going to see someone else. Right. Because Absolutely. a lot of us feel like, "Oh, we don't want to insult the doctor." But it's your life. And, Absolutely. And doctors can make mistakes.
0: Yes. We're all human. <laughs> yes. For so sure.
1: it's just I it's so important. Yeah. Not to if you have questions to keep quiet about it. You need to speak up.
0: Absolutely. I'm going to go ahead and end it there because I think you really gave some good, solid advice on that. And um, I want to say thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. And I know that sometimes it's hard and emotional to kind of rehash some things um, that we've been through. So I appreciate your openness um, with sharing sharing your, your story.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, I hope to help somebody else.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at com.
1: You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.